Hello and welcome to Why It Matters. This is a podcast for leaders who know that relevance is a moving target. I'm Michael Goff and I'm the Strategy Director at Spark Studio. This is a collection of interviews with leaders who are passionate about something that is being overlooked. Sometimes that will be a brand, a product or a service, but it can also be an idea, something that has lost its value for many. And to re-express relevance, you need someone with vision. It's very tempting to talk about who you want to be. And, and actually, the most important piece for us, and I would also advise our listeners as well, is it's more important to find out who you are, not where you want to be. Today, I'm talking with Phil Wilde, CEO of James Cropper PLC. James Cropper is a family-owned materials manufacturer based in Cumbria that has developed from a paper mill that dates back to 1845. In our discussion, we discuss the company's heritage and business purpose, how sustainability has become a central part of their business innovation, and how establishing a stronger community amongst the staff has been significant. But the heart of the discussion is on what holds all this planning together, and why thinking long-term matters. What I found particularly interesting in Phil's approach to strategy is his conviction that the best innovation comes from a strategy that is clear on looking back to where the business has come from, rather than a focus on looking forward to where the business wants to be. Phil has learned that a successful strategy looks back and recognises the value of the company's heritage. So listen in on why long-term strategy matters. Uh, Welcome to Why It Matters, Phil. Lovely to have you with us. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. Just give us a little bit of context for where you're sat at the moment. Which part of the world are you in and uh, um, and where are you? So, uh, Michael, this afternoon I'm sat in the Lake District, just outside Kendal. I'm pleased to tell you it's not raining here, which is uh, sometimes unique for the Lake District. So Kendal is our, is our head office. We've got uh, four locations, three of which are in the UK, one of which is in the US, all manufacturing locations. And just outside Kendall, in the village of Burnside, is our head office, where we've been since 1845. Gosh, fantastic. What a legacy. Wonderful. And, and on the same site, I was reading that, that you've always been. You haven't moved from there at all. Well, correct. In fact, actually, there's been a mill here for 250 years. Amazing. So we sit on the River Kent. Uh, originally, it was run by, uh, by a water, uh, water wheel moving the manufacturing for, for farming. It was, a, it was a sickle mill at one stage, but it was actually bought by the Cropper family in 1845. And, and so now our chairman is the sixth generation of that Cropper family. What an amazing history and, and a, a historic industry as well. I mean, we've been making paper for, for centuries, I guess. Um, uh, how did the Croppers get into paper? Well, Obviously, the heritage is with paper. I mean, today we're a much more diversified group, uh, which which I'll explain. I, I mean, actually, the the interesting piece is um, the mill was originally owned by by a local family, and the Cropper family were were in shipping, running out uh, from from Liverpool uh, and bringing in uh, bringing in goods in and out of the Liverpool port. And James Cropper at the time fell in love with the mill owner's daughter 
Uh. And hence he, he bought the mill back in 1845 to be with the mill owner's daughter. So so I'd like to tell you that there's a really interesting material story there, but actually it's a love story of, of why oh, he ultimately owned the mill. But anyway, it's it's, it's been in the family uh, been the family ever since. Very good. And how long have you been involved? So I joined uh, back in 2012. Uh, so interestingly, nearly 10 years ago, and I joined as uh, as CEO. So previously, I was with a, a number of different companies, uh, uh, 3M was with for about 20 years prior, running a whole series of different diversified businesses. But my background is is manufacturing. And just interestingly, I, I did a manufacturing degree. I, I already always enjoyed how things were put together and, and probably in my case, more taken apart. And and I joined as, a, as an engineer, but it, it probably took me about 10 years to realize I actually wasn't a particularly good engineer. And uh, and it was the people side I was far more interested in, uh, and also the commercial aspect. So I, you know, I, I latterly sort of previously before I moved on to to James Cropper, who was managing director of a number of different business sectors within uh, you know global organisations, and joined James Cropper as uh, as CEO in two thousand and twelve. Very good, and um, you've got quite a big reach. I think as an organisation, I think I was reading somewhere it's most of us uh, around the UK were living experienced your one at least one of your paper products around uh, remembrance day i think you print the the poppies is that right for the the royal legion yeah so to to help to sort of put in perspective of our, our business so we're we're a medium-sized uh company so we've got a market cap of 150 million we've got 600 employees uh we've got four manufacturing sites three in the uk one in the one in the us and distribution and, and sales employees uh, around the world and we have three different businesses, and I'll just let me just tee up the, th- the three different businesses for you because you're entirely right. Uh, we do manufacture the paper for for the Remembrance Day poppy, uh, amongst a whole series of other uh, materials that we produce for as well. But we are we're a materials manufacturer, and I, today I would describe ourselves as as a material science group, advanced materials, and one of our businesses is in paper as it uh, as it has been that's the heritage of the organization but we're a we're a really bespoke paper mill and what i mean by that is when you look at paper mills around the world typically they're they're white and and they're manufacturing millions of tons of paper we manufacture 50,000 tons of paper so we're a, we're a minnow in comparison to other paper mm. manufacturers but we're very diversified so we specialize in in color in finishing embossings and varnishings uh, and so on so the sort of products that we would make are typically go into luxury packaging so uh, depending where on where you where you shop but for example a a selfridges bag is is made from james cropper material as is burberry mulberry louis vuitton uh, amongst many other different products as well, so it, we work pre- predominantly with a, with a quite a discerning premium to luxury market. So we don't manufacture bags or boxes; it's the materials that uh, that we produce. And you talk about you've got three businesses there, and you talk about the fact that you're more of a kind of materials business than a kind of paper business. Tell us a little bit about how you've arrived at that in terms of the kind of, how have you settled on that as a description and, and sort of talk us a little bit about your kind of purpose as an organisation. Well, let me tee up the other two parts of our business because that will help to make some sense of the uh, of the group. So in addition to the paper part of our, our, our business, two other areas. So one is uh, technical fibre products. 
And to, to take you back in time a, a little, uh, about 30 years ago, you know, new materials that came to market were things like carbon fibre. And because we were, we were a paper mill, and innovation really sits at the heart of areas that we really focus on, we had a, a team of engineers at the time that said, I wonder what carbon fibre is going to look like if we put it down our paper mill and try and make paper out of carbon fibre. And what they found is it didn't quite stick together the same as paper does. So they had to add different materials. But essentially, they made a paper out of carbon fibre. Now, this is 30, wow. 35 years ago now. Yes. But they sent it off to, to a number of universities at the time. And then and the universities came back and said, this is amazing. You can do incredible things with this, with this product. You know, for example, it, you know, it conducts electricity. It dissipates static it protects you from electromagnetic radiation, which, which sounds really technical, but put that in, in more layman's terms. If you wrap this product around your mobile phone, you won't get any signal. So it, uh. it helps to sort of protect from you know, different radio waves and, and so on. And that helped to give birth to a business today that manufactures materials that go into aerospace. So every Boeing, uh, every Airbus that's produced today has our materials in it. It goes into you know, high-end luxury vehicles such as you know, sports cars, you know, F1, Lamborghini, you know, uses our materials as, uh, as well. But an area that we focused on more recently is in the green sector. So 50% of, t- of the hydrogen fuel cells that are today produced in the world use our material. Our material goes into wind turbine blades. We've, we've actually just acquired a business uh, that manufactures electrodes to produce hydrogen as, uh, as well. On the surface of it, it looks entirely different to paper. But the reality is, you know, we're, we're bespoke. We're using fibres. So instead of a cellulose fibre that goes into manufacturing a, a poppy, for example, you know, we're using a fibre that goes in to produce a, a carbon product for a different application. But actually, the manufacturing process is, is very, very similar. And, and our third part of the business is, is called Colorform. And Colorform is, is uh, in our terms, a new kid on the block. I, I guess most things are when you're 176 years old. <laughs> but we established this business back in 2016. And it was a, an initiative that we drove. So we pulled together a team of scientists and we asked them to research a third leg of our business. And, and they spent quite a bit of time doing that but linked to our purpose and values, which I know you touched on earlier that I'd, I'd really like the opportunity to explain. And they looked at global megatrends and they also looked at, well, what do we also do well? And Colorform is a, is a packaging product, but it's, it's moulded fibre that's produced out of cellulose. So in, essentially, it's moulded paper. Now, the advantage of it is that it doesn't use, uh, it's an alternative to single-use plastics. So to give, to give you an example, uh, and I'll give you some clients that we work with today. So if you were to buy a, a gift set, uh, I don't know, say a L'Oreal gift set, it would come in a box and inside the box there'll be vacuum form plastic where the, where the product sits inside. Now, the issue with that is you've got, A, it's single-use plastics, mm. and B, you've got mixed waste product and so our our product replaces the single-use plastic in there so it would be exactly the same shape as a, as a vacuum form piece of plastic but then what you've got is a box that is 100% cellulose so it comes from sustainable sources it's biodegradable it's compostable it's recyclable and then we've moved this business on 
that we're now making out of packaging as well. So to take it from a, a shower gel example, we're now producing for people like Moe Hennessy. So they have one of their champagne bottles that they call a second skin and it sits around and it replaces the box mm. and it's you know it does all the sort of aspects you would expect from packaging except that there's there's no plastic involved it's it's all from sustainable sources it's all biodegradable compostable and it's lighter as uh, as well and what what led you to 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 start that business what was driving the organization and you in particular that you saw the opportunity and thought this is something you wanted to kind of develop and push well, we're continuing to want to grow our business, but focusing on the long term. Yeah. And, you know, I, and at the heart of our business are some very deep, sustainable and environmental credentials. And we're looking to continue to build our business, A, in those markets, but B, by using materials that are truly sustainable as, uh, as well. So purpose is, is a slightly more modern term. In the, ha- in the past, we were talked about um, mission statements and and vision statements and so on and purpose is is a lot deeper and the purpose statement is about you know who we are when I first joined back in 2012 we went through an identical process and we created a uh, we had a set of values and and the way that we went about that was we we had a, a team of directors uh, we all sat in a boardroom and very cleverly, we, we came up with a mission statement and a purpose statement, and it was all printed up beautifully on our paper and put on the boardroom wall. Uh, you yeah. kind of know where I'm going with this, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, and it, very clearly, you know, after that event, it was, you know, it was clear there was no engagement, there was no understanding of what our, our state and what we were about. Actually, the words weren't really reflected of what our employees really felt. So it's been on our agenda for some time to, to revisit this. And so through, through COVID, uh, we ran through some purpose workshops and a couple of interesting aspects with that. The, as, as a team of directors, our role was to use our ears and not our mouths through, through the process. And we pulled together a team across all geographic regions. And this is the beauty of Zoom, by the way. Yeah. Um, and that's where that was one of the advantages of, uh, of doing it through COVID. Um, but we made sure every business was represented. Uh, diversity across our organization was, was represented. And we've got, we've got 600 employees. We had, at one stage, up to about 100 employees engaged in this process of you know, debating and discussing, which, which in itself is an, is, is an incredible challenge to do on, on, on Zoom. It was very professionally uh, facilitated for us as, uh, as well. And, and we ran workshop after workshop after workshop to really debate and discuss. And one of the learnings that, that came out, particularly as we were focusing on the values, was it's very tempting to talk about who you want to be. And, and actually, the most important piece for us and I would also advise our listeners as well, is it's more important to find out who you are, not where you want to be. And, and we came up with a couple of statements. So our, our purpose is pioneering materials to safeguard our future. And when we talk about pioneering materials, you know, we're, it's, it's like the discussion we had 30 years ago. Carbon fibre was a new material. We, we really wanted to understand what it was and what it did and all the different properties to it and can we apply it to, to what we do. And safeguarding our future is really talking about the responsibility of us moving forward, both environmentally, but also socially 
as as well as you know who we are and what we stand for and and our values three different values and i hasten to add when we did this exercise some years ago we had 12 values yeah and i had a challenge any of us to remember all 12 so today we have we have three values our first is forward thinking so it's looking looking at and what we mean by forward thinking is not what are what are our results next month or next quarter but Actually, what do we look like in three years' time, in five years' time, and in 10 years' time? And let's make sure that what we're doing is a stepping stone to get there. And if that means tough, short-term issues that we need to deal with, then, then let's deal with them. Yeah, we, we wouldn't have started Colorform if we hadn't have thought medium to long-term because starting any business up is, is, is a cost. Mm. investment in, in equipment it, it was an organic business we had no no business in this area at all it was loss make, making for the first few, few years but we've got a vision for that business that it's actually going to be one of our largest profit making parts of our business in in the years to come so that's about forward thinking responsible is our is our second value uh, and again that that plays to uh, things like esg you know, responsibility around the environment sustainability, but also governance as, uh, as well, health and safety, employment, uh, and so on. And, and our last one is, is about caring, which, which actually sounds on the surface of it quite, quite a soft term. But do you know, out of all these three, it's probably the, one, the, most, the most important uh, aspect of, of our values, because caring is about people. And we don't have a business unless we've got very good, motivated engaged employees as part of our a part of our business it's about caring for yourself and taking responsibility for yourself that's about it may be physical mental health it might be about your own development but it's also about caring for the community as uh, yeah. as well we're uh, an old established manufacturing business and the village of Burnside grew up around the mill and therefore we have a responsibility of yeah, wherever we are in the world, about you know working with our, our community as well. And we do we do a lot of work within the community. We work with schools. Yeah, you know, we lecture at, at schools. We give education for school children about STEM skills, about what life is like, about working in as an engineer or a scientist or marketing or or, or finance as uh, as well. And we do work with local charities as uh, as well. Very good. I mean, that's that sounds like good. Brand strategy as well as kind of business strategy. I think we often, uh, you know, like you, a lot of our client base are often get saturated with the number of characteristics or value statements that they have. And to hear you say that you had 12 is not uncommon. But as you say, the, the point there is, you know, can anyone recite them? Do they know them all? And you might get three or four off your chest, but beyond that, it would start to kind of fade away. So I commend you for um, for settling just on three. I think that is, that's very commendable. I suppose I think from the context of naysayers out there that would be kind of critical of, you know, the, the cost to think long term. If they asked you the question, why does thinking long term matter? What would you say? It's about how long you want your company to, to be in existence. And if you think short term, very likely your business will be around short term. If you think long term, not only have you got longitudinal you know, view of your of your business, it will make you think strategically at a much different level of uh, of where you are, and actually your returns ultimately will be better because it'll be far far better thought through and far um, far better deployed because you're thinking about where you want to be before you get there. 
And you talked about Colourform coming out of a, a kind of interest in thinking about the long term and long term planning particularly. Why why had long term planning become an issue for, for croppers, for change croppers? I think long term has all, always been there. And, you know, if we think about you know the fundamentals of what's important for, for our business, but many other business, but I talk about ours as in as in the manufacturing sector. For me, there are probably two fundamentals. One is about our employees. Uh, and secondly, is about innovation, and and I think all of the you know, the values sort of cascade from from down there as uh, as well. And without good quality employees, you know, who are committed, capable, you know, fulfilling their potential, and you know, from an innovation perspective, you're really questioning things about you know how we can be disruptive, how we can change things, what are the different materials that are out there, but how can we do these things different? Not until those two come together do you have a successful business. And, and both of those require long-term thinking. You know, and empl- employees coming in, particularly in our location, we're in a rural location and, you know, we've got operations in, in, in the US and we've got other operations in, in the UK as, as well. But in the Lake District would represent 90% of, uh, of our employment and also 90% of the manufacturing as, as well. And... There's a responsibility of, of development that sometimes we don't see elsewhere in the country. Um, so, for example, if we were to look for a, a new material scientist or a, a new a new engineer, then typically we don't find that talent on, on our doorstep and we have to look wider afield. But what that does do is it puts a lot of emphasis on developing our own employees internally to be able to really you know, build the capability and, and fulfill as well. And that it requires investment and it requires time. And and that makes you think about well where where do you where do you want to be in three to five years time? What what do we look like? And and cascading that back, what what do we need to do to to get there? And the same with innovation as well, because you know we we are typically not me too on, on many of the different aspects that, that we work on. I'll give you a couple of examples of uh, of that. To drive innovation requires a good amount of time on research and development. Fifteen percent of our employees are associated with with R and D, so it's you know it's deep ingrained in the culture of the business of of how we operate. Process example of innovation. I'll give you a materials example, but it's also about how to do things differently. Yeah, how to be a little bit more in tune with the market, how to be a bit more in tune with the customer, how to be more in tune with what's happening environmentally. And and I give you an, an example there during COVID. We were continuing to manufacture our, our business in the paper. Uh, demand went down, but we continued to drive innovation. And one of the products that we launched through through COVID was a product called PaperGuard. And, and PaperGuard is it's a normal piece of paper, except for it has an added ingredient into it, which el- eliminates any viruses from the surface of the paper. So if you were to sneeze, and, and if you were unfortunate enough to have some sort of virus, including including COVID, and touch the paper, within a couple of sec- seconds, the virus would be dead. Now you think, well, why is that important? Well, actually, well, think about the greeting card market, where people are picking products up, opening them, putting them back yeah. down again. Think about business cards. And it was a, it's a small example of our material scientists thinking about how can we react to the environment as it is today, and how can we bring new products to, to market? The other example I was going to use is, which is sort of sits at the uh, fundamentals of environmental, is, is a process we call cup cycling. And uh, and cup cycling 
is reusing used coffee cups. Uh, and we reuse used coffee cups to be able to upcycle back into fine paper again. So we, we established this quite some years ago. It took us about three years of R&D to be able to understand how we can take the inside of a coffee cup. And I'm talking about people like you know, coffee cups from people like McDonald's or Pret or Costa, you know, the, uh, the coffee retail outlets and used cups as well. But So how do we get that material, you know, removing it from the, from the product and reusing that? Uh, and how do we get the material out from there to be able to reuse it? So three years of R&D to, uh, to do that. And now we've got a process that recycles half a billion coffee cups a year. And, and we're taking the, the plastic from the inside of the cup. That then goes into to a third party who then make things like uh, carpets out of it, insulation materials for, for wiring and, and so on. We take out the, the fillers, into which things like clays and dyes and so on. They go into fertilizer. And we're left with a very, very high quality fiber. And that high quality fiber, then we can use as a raw material that goes goes back into uh, to our products. And to give you to give you an example of that, a Burberry bag is made from fifty percent coffee cups. A a Selfridges bag is made from fifty percent coffee cups. And there are many many examples now of, of our clients of where they're using a good portion of recycled material as part of our product. And, and interestingly, today we get more inquiries for material that has recycled content than we do for virgin material. And that's a direction that we continue to push. But but we wouldn't have made that investment and we wouldn't have made the change had we not been thinking long-term of which way is the market going, trying to be more sustainable, building your environmental footprint to a much greater degree, and then applying that to technology in order to create these sorts of products. Interesting. What were the barriers that that you face in putting that conviction into practice? I suppose I'm thinking on one level, you know, uh, James Croppers is a PLC. You've got shareholders. And I guess, you know, traditionally, you'd think that shareholders would put a pressure on sort of short term returns over kind of investing for the long term. So what what were the barriers of having seen the value and, and the need for long term thinking? What gets in the way from actually putting that into practice? Well, I, again, I'll just tell you a little bit of the story on this. That uh, I've uh, I've been involved directly with our investors for nearly ten years, and fortunately for us, they're a loyal investment community. We know them most of them personally, uh, and that, you know, we've invested a lot of time with them to sort of really help to understand, you know, who we are, what we stand for, and what we're about. And we invested a lot of time up front to really talk about you know the future of our company and where we're going so so we we have explained and we've talked about our journey of where we're going which then makes sense you know when when we discuss some of the short-term hurdles and issues and barriers that we've had to get across in order to uh, in order to get now clearly from an investment perspective you, you need to be delivering results and yeah. we we clearly need to have one eye in doing that as we're continuing to move ahead as well. But the, the story I was going to share is when when we first started to engage with our investment community, we talked about, well, actually, we talked about CSR. We didn't talk about ESG because ESG is a slightly more new terminology. And for the sake of the listeners, what does CSR stand for? Well, it, it's the social piece, so which is which is where it differs from, from ESG because the the CSR really focused on the social area and it was and traditionally it was it was almost like a HR function 
You know, so he was looking after employees. He was doing what's right for the community and charities and uh, and so on. And ESG, obviously, the, the S in, in, in ESG is the social, but ESG brings in a far more holistic approach with environmental and governments as well. But when we were running some of our um, CSR programs, then we also added in environmental in there as well. And when we were talking to our investors about, you know, this is important to us. You know, we. This is, this is part of who we are. Our products are uh, sustainable, environmental. And it, I think then there was pretty much no interest in this area at all. And in fact, you know, there was some concern in the investment community that you know, driving our environmental or, or social credentials actually was going to add cost to, uh, to our business and would become uncompetitive. About five years ago, I would say half of our investors were starting to ask us what our ESG credentials, and that was where ESG, environmental, social, and governance, were, were starting to come to the to the forefront. Uh, and the other half were sort of probably probably sat on the on the fence. Now, every investor, without exception, is asking us, you know, "What are your envi- what are your environmental credentials? What are your social in- credentials? What are your governance credentials?" And it, because they now see that companies who are focused on long-term, companies who are focused on ESG typically last longer and deliver better results. So I'm kind of pleased that we've gone through that journey and I'm pleased that we've managed to get you know, our, our stakeholders engaged. I actually think we lost some investors en route because of that. And I think also we gained different investors because actually that was on their, on their credential sheet. So you know, we were committed we knew that this was, was what our business was about. Paper is an environmental product. For every one tree that is used for paper manufacturing, we're, we're planting a further three to replace. Everything's from FSE. We, we recycle. We have zero to landfill. It's, you know, it, it's a fundamental part of who we are. And was that a difficult sell in the in the boardroom as well, or were, or were the board largely behind you in that conviction to kind of move to a sort of more long term planning business? The board has the board has developed, and and I think it's fair to say that the family element of the, of the board, with, you know, particularly with our, our chair, you know, this this sat at the at the heart of the, of the business. So, you know, they they knew that they believed it. It was very it was very credible. But interestingly, as as the board has developed and new people have come and other people have uh, have left, there's been quite a learning process. And just out of interest, we've recently recruited a, a new executive director to come and sit on on the board, and and also non-executive directors. And the commonality across all of them is one of the reasons that they came to to join the company was because of you know the values. And the culture and our commitment to environmental, social, and governance, but being quite true to it. So the you know no greenwashing in there. You know we are we are the real thing. We're the real McCoy, and that was why they came to join us. So actually, we're seeing it now as as actually not just the right thing to do, but it's actually a good commercial proposition as well. Authenticity is absolutely critical, isn't it? If you don't if you can, you don't actually walk the talk, then you're you're not going to have any kind of impact. So um, yeah, I think whenever we're sort of thinking about positioning and strategy for our clients from a brand point of view, we always want to make sure that the client is ultimately going to reflect what's actually going on in the business, so that you avoid that the kind of greenwashing accusation or or any other kind of falsehood uh, about it. I, I think that's fundamentally important, I, and I don't mean offsetting isn't a good thing to do, 
but offsetting isn't the answer. You know, when, when we talk about, so, so what is it you do? So an example would be we had a, a very large Californian-based phone client that came to, uh, to see us very recently and, and was asking, so where does this recycled content come from? And we, we took them straight to the, where we recycle coffee cups. So it was real. They could see it. And so our Coloform business now is run entirely by solar. And we've now put three solar arrays on the roof, uh, on three roofs of our buildings in order to power one of our businesses. So we can now say that Colorform is 100% run from green energy. And when we want to point the finger to say where the green energy is coming from, we're not pointing the finger at the power cable that's coming in from the main road. We're pointing the finger at the roofs and saying, that's, that's where the solar panel, and we're generating a megawatt of, of solar energy that's, that's coming through. When we talk about plastic-free packaging, we take them through where we're producing plastic-free packaging. Now, but 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 we're not we're not perfect. We're on we're on a journey. And and to give you an example of that, you know, very recently we've looked at you know some of the businesses that we operate in, and we we've done quite a bit of work on what we describe as unethical businesses. And I don't I don't mean an illegal by of course, um, but you know areas to do with you know with 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 weaponry, with alcohol, with tobacco, and and so on. And we've actually exited a couple of businesses recently on the back of a. A quite a deep review. Now, they were quite relatively small businesses, but it's commitment about actually, do we do we believe it? So we've exited a business that was associated with uh, with tobacco and we've exited, and, and so now we don't do any work in, in tobacco at all. Uh, we've exited some business that was was linked to, to arms and weaponry, which interestingly, we weren't really aware of because we were, we were a materials manufacturer. We had to track it you know, up the supply chain to understand exactly where all our products were being used, and we've exited that part of the business as uh, as well. You've talked about there that 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 the R and D element of what you're doing is integral to the business. I think you mentioned fifteen percent of your employees are kind of associated with that aspect of the business. To someone who's kind of thinking about innovation, what would you say were the key steps that were needed to make R and D an integral part of a business? We treat R and D in a probably two distinct areas, and one of those is linked to the business and and the other is is delinked and is and is independent to any business that we're doing and 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 the reason i start telling you those out is because they're fundamentally different so each of our businesses has has an r d arm to uh, to to that operation so for example in in our technical fiber business tfp business we're doing a lot of work in in hydrogen uh today and so as part of the r d where we're making materials that are producing the electrolyzers to be able to electrolyze water to be able to produce green hydrogen. It's a very expensive process because we're, you know, we're coating metal with, with platinum. In fact, it's, it's, it's sintered titanium we're coating with, with platinum. It's a very, very expensive process. And from a customer perspective, a customer wants it to last the longest. It wants, it wants to be the lowest cost. Uh, and so we're doing some optimization work. But to, to optimize it, you, know, you need to understand the material science. You need to understand how you know how you coat the electrofloating process in order to do that. So, and where I'm going on that one, Michael, is that you know the work that we're doing within the labs are for each of the businesses are associated with the business. So it's it's optimizing in the paper business. Paper Guard came out of some R and D work that we, that we were doing that happened to be appropriate at a at a point in time. And I guess a couple of things that I reflect on 
sort of listening to you, Phil, is that on the one hand, it's separate to the business. So it's not under that sort of commercial pressure. So there's no rush to turn this into commercialize these opportunities. It's more just out of a genuine desire to explore possibilities and to, to, right. to experiment. But it's all built on those three initial values that you mentioned of kind of responsibility, caring and forward thinking. Absolutely. And, and also when you talked about thinking long term, because actually, if we want short-term results, you know, the, the easiest way to do that is, is don't have the cost associated with technology and innovation. But, but yet we won't have any big step changes in technology in the next three to five years either. You know, it's really interesting when any industry is facing disruption because of technological advances and, and, and improvements in and efficiency through technology. So it seems only right that you're kind of pursuing it. And I, and I think what's really striking to me is how important it is for you as an organisation to know who you are and to know what you stand for before any of that begins so that you're really clear you've got a filter and a lens to decide which projects to pursue and which what's the right kind of focus for that R&D. And with my kind of brand strategy hat on, you know, the fact that you've got those really key pillars of, of those three values of forward thinking, caring, responsible, you've then got a really clear sense of direction to determine, you know, where you should put your energy and, and, and which R&D projects to focus on. Absolutely. I, each one of our businesses clearly has a business strategy, has a business plan. Each one of those business strategies is aligned to the purpose and values. And if it doesn't align, then we haven't got the right strategy. Yeah. And, and a very practical example of, of that is the work that we've done in our technical fiber business on hydrogen. So we recognized some years ago that you know the drive to be able to remove fossil fuels, particularly when it, can, when it comes to transportation with petrol and, and, and diesel, and our appetite to move into that market, which clearly sort of falls under our safeguarding our future, it falls under things forward thinking, it falls under responsibility. And and then you know, we, we had zero sales in, in hydrogen. We had, we had products that we were looking at and, and developing. And now uh, over a third of our technical fiber business is 100% associated with, with the hydrogen business uh, because it's an area that we really focused on. But the reason that we focused on on that is because of the overall purpose and values of the of the company, and that was why it was developed. And which projects that are bubbling away in the background are you most proud of at the moment? As you kind of look at the team and the the, the endeavours that they're involved in. Yeah, a number of bits of a sort of exciting work. Yeah, I, you know, I'm super pleased with our decarbonisation program. We've got so far to go on this. We've got hydroelectric scheme in place now. We've got solar schemes in place now. That I would describe take the edge of it, but don't solve it. And we've got some really exciting technology in order to be able to totally eliminate fossil fuels from, from powering our manufacturing sites. Uh, so I'm super excited to, at some point in time, share those. I'll share them when they're up and running. And we're, we're, we're yep. happy that it's, uh, it's working. I'm yep. really proud of the idea of, at some point in time, in the not too distant future of actually not using any virgin material in paper at all. You know, we've, we've got a target to get to 50% in the next three years of you know, using recycled material. You know, that can just grow and grow and grow. And you know, in a world where you know, we're producing beautiful products, but actually the beautiful mm. products are produced from entirely recycled materials. And, and actually the, the better thing than just recycled is post-consumer, something that actually it would have gone into landfill or it would have gone in for, for an incineration. 
but actually we we've given it a second life of uh, businesses uh, as well i'm also really excited of the work that we're doing about alternatives to fossil fuel transportation so yeah whereas yeah it's great that we're doing some work in in hydrogen that's continued to grow and grow We've got some really interesting work that we're doing in battery technology as uh, as well. And I can see that our, in our technical fiber business, that it actually just in the next few years, more than half of that business is going to be totally associated with the removal of, of fossil fuels. So again, it, it kind of comes mm. back. But the, these are real groundbreaking changes that, that, are, that are coming through, yeah. really exciting. Uh, Phil, we've got just a final question then. We've got this little section that we call Worth a Look. What have you watched, read or listened to recently that you think is worth a look that listeners should take interest in? I've been doing some work recently with a company called Positive Luxury. And Positive Luxury have been doing work with brands for, for a few years now. And, and they've really been helping the brands apply some science, particularly around their ESG credentials and being able to help sort of to really measure each of those areas and also sort of de- demonstrate improvements as well. And it's one of the few companies I've really come across recently that have been able to really quantify and develop you know, where a company currently sits and actually where they need to get to, as opposed to it being anecdotal of, you know, we believe that we're doing the right things and, and here's some, here are some examples. And Positive Luxury have been focused on particularly the luxury sector. So they're, they're doing work with a whole series of, uh, of brands that you will, we will all be familiar with and some of our, our customers as, uh, as well. But, you know, they're, they're, they're doing good in the world. They're aligned to our values as, uh, as well. But like I say, the difference is that they've applied a really good degree of science behind actually moving things forward. So it's, uh, it's really quite refreshing to look at. Fantastic. Phil Wilde, thank you so much for your time with us today on Why It Matters. It's been lovely to have you. Thanks for being interviewed. Yeah, thank you. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters has been put together by Spark Studio, the brand and design agency based in London. To find out more about us, visit our website at sparks-studio.com. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at hashtag whyitmatterspod or get in touch with me at whyitmatters at sparks-studio.com. Thanks for listening.